For October 4th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 692, Ensconcing Yourself in Sexual Plaid. Hey, it's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. Never happier than when we are enjoying decorative gourd season, MFs. And by MFs, I mean my friends, my smart, funny friends from the internet. Uh, it's decorative gourd season. It's pumpkin spice season. It's time. No, nope, nope, not doing that again, Matt. No, not that, but, but it's the season. Tis the season, Mark. Tis the season. Don't bah humbug my PSL. Uh, don't, we, we made our own, uh, we made our own like low, low sugar, high flavor pump, <laughs> pumpkin spice mix that actually takes, tastes like pumpkin and have been putting it in, uh, putting it in, in our coffees at home. And let me tell you something, Mark, it is delightful. And, uh, no, no one can convince me that it isn't. But for our, for our annual fall pot, for our annual harvest podcast. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it's time to, uh, it's time to do something else. So I, I have one word, uh, four words, but that are all one word for you. And, and Pete, I, I, tell me if you know, uh, this sentence, malo, 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 malo. No, it's Latin. It means I'd rather be in an apple tree than an evil man in iniquity. Uh, and that's me. I'm the evil man in iniquity, Matt Rather. My friend in the apple tree, that's Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. And uh, my other friend also in a different apple tree is Mark Lee. Hey, Mark. Hello, Matthew. Happy fall to you. Happy fall to, to you. I'm glad you've gotten, I'm glad you've gotten into the harvest spirit. Uh, have you done anything, Mark, to celebrate the season? Uh, well, yes, I have, Matt. Thanks for asking. Before oh, I get into what I did to celebrate this season. Thank goodness. I'm so glad if you had said no, the episode would be over. <laughs> right. That would have been pretty awkward. We're just, yeah, we're, we, we, we're, all, you know, we're constantly trying to harvest pod, uh, topics, you know, and, sure. and we, we get them from a tree and sometimes it is barren, but other times it is just so overladen with um, certain pr- products, produce, you might say, mm. um, that uh, they might hang low. Uh, such as it were and you just kind of you know casually grasp it and pull it okay we're talking about apple picking apple Apple picking picking. hey hey before we talk about apple picking um what we did to observe the fall season the passing of the seasons uh maybe about a couple years ago we'll talk about pumpkin spice and pumpkin spice lattes uh and yes that was uh, the harvest podcast for that year oh yeah my 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 autumn dog a basset hound is an autumn dog he wants to get on and then i record and then i recorded a supplement um, for our members, uh, overthinking.com slash join if you want to be a member, um, in which I did some tasting notes on it. Uh, and that was on a Sunday afternoon, and I got uh, really sick from said Starbucks pumpkin spice latte um, and couldn't do the podcast, the, the subsequent podcast, on account that, of that. that was in – you you right. That that wasn't in the video, though. It just so – you like no. you recorded the video. The video was done, and then afterwards – And then a few hours later, as my digestive tract started to go to work, yeah. Yeah, I got pretty sick. So once again, uh, listeners, what were we thinking of? Um, I've given my body to the great cause of discourse on this show. Um, and I went apple picking. And uh, just kind of on a lark, you know, we uh, we started to throw topics around. And this is something that, it's, that uh, we either have strong opinions about or perhaps an, an absence thereof, uh, which uh, in a way leads to strong opinions. Um so let me just kind of just uh, just kind of give the rundown, right? You know, um, I live in a major metropolis in the Northeast United States, um, New York City, and a thing that folks do, in particular parents, at this time of year, as October comes along and uh, the apples come into season, is go apple picking, get in the car, drive about an hour away, uh, go into find you know just some, down some winding roads, uh, hit a big old parking lot, uh, a, a grass parking lot in an orchard and marvel at how quickly it's going to fill up with other city folk who have come to do this the same activity pay over $30 for a large bag of way more apples than you're ever going to eat. Um, go about, uh, try to use your quasi scientific knowledge of produce, um, and, and, and qualities of fruit, uh, pick a bunch of them, 
do other autumnal activities like eat the donuts, listen to uh, uh, you know mediocre cover band music, and and commune with your fellow parents about the season, the passings of the seasons, and the aging of your children, um, and then drive back and get slammed by so much traffic that it takes twice as long to get back home uh, as it took to get out there. And so now I've got a huge sack of apples, and I got to figure out what to do with them. But it was a good time. That was enjoyed by all. Uh, that 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 should be enjoyed by all, except for those I hear who might have a, a certain uh, bodily aversion to apples. <laughs> might there be someone on this podcast who meets that criteria? There, there, there is, Mark. And again, I don't want to – this is the crux. This is, for me, what brings this topic into a place where I find it particularly interesting to talk about, which is that I have a relatively common – allergy, right? Which I, I, I talk about as birch pollen allergy, but there's a bunch of different names for it, which is a, uh, an allergy to stone fruits and tree fruits of a certain kind, but not citrus. And it tends to, it's not fatal, right? It's not like dire. It just, it makes me sick when I eat them. And it was, it only came about when I was like 20. So I have lots of memories of eating delicious apples and plums when I was younger. Uh, and, and now I can't do that anymore because, uh, you know, my gums would bleed and I would throw up. Right. And I'd be okay, but it wouldn't be great. Everything would be super itchy. That's, and it would that's be bad. interesting. Pete, is that, do you know if that is common in the allergy community? Uh, uh I as, don't self-identify as, as allergic as an, but, as an, uh, as an allergic American. Do you, uh, d- no, I mean, I just, I, it's interesting that, that allergies would, would have like a late onset would have like an adult onset. Oh, yeah. No, that, that is common. I, huh. I think that, th- that it is common that allergies change as you get older. Uh, you mean, you're thinking about it, for example, you are, you don't, nobody's born allergic to poison ivy, right? You become allergic to poison ivy when you are exposed to the oil from the poison ivy. Uh, really? And so, yeah, yeah. That's so your, your first reaction, your first allergic, so some people will never have that first reaction to poison ivy. It flips some sort of switch, right? And again, I'm not a doctor. Talk to an actual doctor about this stuff if you really want to understand. I'm talking about these things because they're not, the stakes are not so high as to really jeopardize your health. But the point being that like your first bout of poison ivy is generally longer than your other bouts of poison ivy will be because it's different because your body is sort of flipping the switch to having this sort of immune reaction to it. Uh, and I think there, even though it's not necessarily like fully understood, at least on the level of what your doctor would tell you with confidence, I think it's pretty well known that what you're exposed to over the course of your life changes what you're allergic to in much the same way that your immune system is always changing relative to things that you encounter or ways that you supplement or bolster it using things like vaccines and whatnot. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a kind of thing in my family too. You know, my mom had the same thing. Her dad had the same thing. Um, and it never affected any of us when we were kids. It just, when we got older, uh, different ages at different times. I remember the first time I had this reaction, it was when it was after it was in college and I just went ham on apple juice at the cafeteria one night. I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just drinking nothing but apple juice Ooh. tonight. Juice is delicious and I haven't had it in too long. And they had like three or four glasses of apple juice and then I was in the bathroom for like two hours. Oh, geez. Um, and so and I was like, what has happened to me? And I talked to my mom and she's like, oh, yeah, I, by the way, I have this hereditary allergy. <laughs> right. And so from there on out. Uh, there was about a year and a half of bumpy, a bumpy road where I'd have a bad reaction to it. Uh, and again, this is not an allergy podcast, right? But the point is that if you can't eat the apples off of the tree, right, that raises the question of what is the point of apple picking, right? Because you would think now, granted, now I have a whole I have a whole sort of syllogism kind of thing mapped out here, more of a more of a more of a set of factors to try to calculate some sort of delta or something. But got it. All, all men are allergic. Socrates is a man. <laughs> Therefore, Therefore, Socrates, Socrates. <laughs> enjoys ac- apple picking. I think a lot of people labor under the misled assumption that apples are the goal of apple picking and then and then are baffled by the obvious fact that this is not the case when they were at home with giant bags of apples. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> right. And then once once you're called upon to do it and you can't. And now, again, I also want to say, right, Mark. You could cook with them, right? You could you, – there is there is an agricultural dimension to this as well, right? Uh, and I don't want to just go off uh, about oh, all – sure. Yeah, I forced to provide for my family. Uh, we're going to puree this and feed it to the baby. Yeah, yeah. But what I mean by agricultural is like harvests happen, right? And generally speaking, we live – 
in this sort of supermarket reality in this culture where the availability of food to us is not constrained by the narrow window during which it is most efficiently and voluminously harvested in areas that are near us. Right. right. So like the amount of time that you actually have to pick a certain variety of apple might not really be that long in order to maximize the amount of apples you actually harvest. But when you're not selling apples, but are selling the apple picking experience, right. It extends that time past what, would be ideal were you simply running it as a commodified Apple business. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I mostly saw this stuff on Clarkson's farm on Amazon where it has to struggle with the barley harvest and the, and the, uh, the canola harvest and whatnot um, and getting them all done at like the exact right time and how confused he is by all that stuff. But I don't know. Um, so yes. So I would, I would to, to leave it there and not go too deep for the moment. I would say, yes, I am allergic to apples. I have gone apple picking whilst allergic to apples. Uh, I have also not gone apple picking in a few years and am confronting because, because I don't think of apple picking historically as something that parents do. I think of it as something that people do on dates, right? Which is a whole other dimension of uh, it. I want to hear. I definitely want to hear about that because I've never been on an apple picking date. Good. Oh yeah, because the other side of it is that yes, Mark, you are different. People have different sorts of magnetisms, right? The inverse square law operates in different <laughs> respects, right? I mean, Matt, you're familiar with the inverse square law, right? Sure, but I, I, I'm just. I was just thinking, like, instead of "Hey, baby, I'm going to lay you down in the green grass," it's "Hey, baby, I'm going to lay you down on the 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 you know sodden bed of rotting apples." across the but that's the point Matt. we're gonna get we're gonna get we're gonna get we're gonna get symbolism alert here drunk but drunk like deer eating the fruit off of the Mm -hmm. off Mm -hmm. of the ground you know the i mean do you want me to hit you want me to pitch this first topic right now before we go into the other stuff let's bring it on so okay thinking in terms of primate species right Uh uh-huh we all know that any summary of the sexual lives of humans that really strictly qualifies us as similar to another specific sort of animal is generally going to be inadequate, right? Like we are not like wolves. We don't have like one dude who has like 30 children that all hang out together, right? Uh, Though people will say that, right? Uh, But we also don't totally and entirely and unproblematically naturally pair bond, right? Without there being a lot of drama, as is evidenced by uh, certain real and fake housewives of Beverly Hills and elsewhere, right? Um, So so we know that we're not strictly like the kind of, you know, primates that definitely do that. We're in the middle, right? We have certain behaviors that are geared toward kind of short-term uh, impulsive uh, sexual decision making, right? Which are sort of like the passion, the spark, the fire, right? And and the sort of like making stupid decisions while drunk and all this other sorts of stuff, or very stupid decisions when very drunk, which you should make. Um, and then we also have these sort of long term planning dimensions and kind of relationship building dimensions and comfort dimensions. And I think the thing about apple picking that has made it so confounding in my experience as a dating activity is that it's it's a pair bonding activity. It's not a passion activity. Mm. Right. Like right. like like apple Pete, picking. Pete, yep. They're apples. They're not pears. <laughs> I can't. Eat it probably of them, doesn't. Deserve. <laughs> that was a, that was a plum metaphor, man. Was, uh, <laughs> kiwi. No, that doesn't fit. Um, but yes, the idea being that, like, when a couple goes apple picking, I think it is less about drumming up autumnal passion, right? Like, sort of ensconching yourself in sexual plaid, right? And it's <laughs> <laughs> being like, haha, look, because who is the biggest jerk? Who is the worst apple picker? The worst apple picker is the person who picks the most apples, right? The worst apple picker is like, look at me. I shook the entire tree and they all came down because I'm I'm the king of the mountain, right? Like that is a failure condition for apple picking. If you take a dude apple picking and he goes around like puffing up his chest, hitting all the trees, ruining it for everybody, he has failed the test, right? And the test of apple picking is whether you can kind of pleasantly go about this shared activity in which you enjoy bounty together, right? Which is not about selecting for you right now. It's about selecting for you as a pair over time, right? Like that's that's how I would frame it biologically. Personally, I would say it's a relationship test, right? It's like, does this thing have legs? And it often comes up at a point, at least in my experience in New England, right? Because for me, apple picking is more proximate and has less of a has less of a, a barrier to entry, though a similar financial cost, right? It's like I can get I get to an apple picking farm in like 10 minutes, 
right? Um, and, a, and a lot of them, right? A whole bunch of them, wineries and whatnot. Um, and the idea that sort of like the farther apart the apple farm is from where you live, the stronger the pull of the apple farm, need, the orchard Early. needs oh, to the be higher the pull you across. Until the point where it's so far that it becomes this sort of distant thing that you're not entirely aware of, but is still affecting your orbit as you slowly <laughs> circle the Colorado apple orchards as you wait on waiting lists for months or years to get a chance to do it. But yes, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. This, this, an, apple, an apple orchard has a waiting list. Yes, I it, heard it's about like, this. It's today. like the hottest club in the greater Boston, Massachusetts area. Not in Boston. I, I so I I mean I don't think my wife would mind this because I won't mention any names and I won't remember any specifics. But she's a friend in Colorado who's been on a waiting list to go apple picking for multiple seasons with her kids because there just aren't a lot of apple orchards near where she lives and they can't they don't have enough for everybody. So you sign up and you hope that you get a slot, right? Um, whereas in New York, you're still at the point where you, the apple picking can pretty much clear the market, but it requires like an extraordinary expenditure of like car rental gasoline, right. To like get in and out of New York city, <laughs> or, or I guess people might probably still own their cars and whatnot. But, um, whereas toll, around, man, you got, you got to pay like a 20 dollar toll to, yeah. to, to cross various, <laughs> various bridges and tunnels. Yeah. There's all this sorts is, of no barriers, joke. but you still do it. Right. Exactly. It's, which of course create kind of systemic effects that affect the class and stuff. But, but for me in new England, and I want to hear more about your experience because the gist for me is that I stopped apple picking when I stopped online dating because <laughs> online, and I'm not really joking, right? Like that, uh, that app, that online dating, of course, is impulse driven. It's very much like low friction in the sense of you're trying to make a purchase, a transaction. And in terms of getting people together, it focuses a lot of the time on short to short term decision making, right? And, and making decisions without really knowing whether a person is going to be any sort of fit for you over time. The information that you get over uh, over the internet is not enough to let you know whether somebody is actually a good fit for you. For one, you can't smell them, which is probably the most important thing, right? Uh, <laughs> speaking of, speaking of evolutionary courses in primate, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Like you don't know whether your immune systems are gonna bolster each other or not because you can't smell them. Uh, but no, it, putting that all aside, um, it just is like you enter into these situations where you construct this identity of yourself. This is my experience of online dating years ago. And you try really hard to like you can get caught in the trap of trying to win the game. Right. Because you because it's it's a plain pleasure, a pain, pleasure game where people either reject you or validate you. Right. It's like, oh, you know, I'm not going to talk to you. Screw you. Right. Like that's what you hear when no one says anything. And of course, I ended online dating before Tinder, where I assume these phenomena are similar, but all got all ratcheted up. Um, I, I was blessed because I had an Android. And when I started dating my wife, uh, Tinder was out for Apple, but not for Android yet. So I never got a chance to use it. It probably would have ruined my life. There's definitely a Loki episode about this. Um, but at any rate, there was always the point in the dating sequence if you were around the autumn with an online dating person where it would come up that you would go apple picking. And I think that it it serves as a reminder, right, that people are looking for something that they're often not getting from those kinds of relationships. And also this idea of like, well, if you're there and you're apple picking with somebody and you don't actually see and feel a future with them, it's really stupid, right? Because it's like you're performing this like thing, right? Um, whereas Is there a do- seasonal aspect of this too, right? Where like summer fling – turns into like early autumn test drive or something serious and apple picking, which could then lead to, uh, uh, I don't know, like uh, an invitation to meet family over the holidays. Sure. I mean, I would first say spending three months under a blanket when the sun sets at three o'clock watching like Colin Firth movies uh, is one of the intermediate steps. But yes. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hibernating <laughs> through the Boston winter. Yeah, sure. But yeah, but yeah, but yeah, exactly. Right. There is a seasonality to it where in the summer, all of the college kids are gone and the city is kind of wide open. And then the September comes and the place fills with fresh new young people who are all looking to get with each other. Uh, and the apple picking is sort of like, is this thing going to be a thing? Right. Is this going are we going to be able to jar this love for the winter? Right. Uh, are we going to, uh, shall, shall we are we going to be able to pickle our romance or will it uh, will it rot on the vine? Right. Um, <laughs> I think and that's how I experienced it. I'm, I'm kind of poo pooing it, but I felt like I mean, I think that if you go apple picking and you legitimately really want to have a relationship with the person you're apple picking with, it's a heavily it can be a heavily weighty symbolic sort of weekend that you both dread and love. Right. Because not just like, because oh, you're lugging around a 10 pound sack of apples. Well, I can't eat the apples, Mark. <laughs> I would go and I couldn't eat them, but I would carry the apples. Right. And I would grab them. That's I would reach up. 
Yeah, yeah. They call, that, Pete, they call, they call that codependency. That's the... You know, <laughs> carrying carrying the apples that you can't that you (laughs) that you can't eat um you know the 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 heart is vaguely apple shaped and and that that's um (laughs) but i would also say that like of course i could eat the apple crisp if i only had 12 hours or even four hours of patience uh right so uh but that's sort of the uh, that's the dynamic, right? How much gratification are you seeking in the moment from the activity versus like what does the activity symbolize and represent in terms of what you'll be able to enjoy later with the people you went with? And with your kids, that's a longer relationship, one would hope, than with the average person that you meet on OKCupid. Okay well, I think that's um, that's that is interesting, right? Like because there's there's a thing, you know. Is this going to be miserable? Right. Right. right, right because right. it's a, it's a high risk, high reward dating maneuver, you know, apple picking. It's a high right. risk. It's because like if it goes well, it's great. And if it goes badly, it's terrible. It's not like, it's not like, okay, it's terrible. Cause yeah, like, you're on the country, you you're can't the, bail out. You can't bail out. It's, right it's cold. Right. Yeah. And you have to, you have to endure the, the long car ride back. But you know, once you have, once you have kids, the, it's just assumed that you're going to do a number of things, um, that make you miserable, uh, that the kid won't appreciate, <laughs> the kid won't appreciate any of the labor in, you know, um, like I, I, I think back to, to my childhood and think of the, the stuff I did where like my mother carried a giant backpack or something so that yeah. my brother and I could, could, you know, could run around. And there, you know, it's not a success failure sort of thing because it, you know, it's going, you know, it's going to be a failure. You know, it's going to be a miserable, uh, a miserable slog, you know, and, and yet like there's something joyful about it. There's something, you know, there's something nice because, you know, you, you can, you can see, you can see the world through the eyes of a child seeing an apple for the first time. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know why you've deprived your child of apples up to the point where you take them <laughs> apple picking, but yeah. you know, go with me. Go but with you kind of have though, right? Are we talking about what, what makes an apple an apple? Oh, that's interesting. Can we, can we, can we have that discussion now? Oh man, sure. I wanted to remark, remark on one thing very quickly first, which is, I think I, as an adult and a parent, I do find my memories, my assessments of my, what things my parents found unpleasant to be mostly a projection of what I found unpleasant as a child, because it doesn't actually match when you actually do it. Um, but no, let's, let's, what is an apple? What is an apple, Mark? Let's do that. Let's do that. Is, is an apple just something that, you know, a, a, an organic compound that you put into your body, or is it like literally the fruit, fruit of the earth kind of is it, is a thing there. That's a potato. Right. Um, <laughs> pom, pom, pom de terre. Uh, indeed. The apple. Touche. 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 Yeah. So uh, we we we've kind of touched upon this before, right? But like you know, really one of the the things you're 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 doing when you're taking a kid apple picking is you're trying to peel away, pun intended, uh, many layers of abstraction about where food comes from, right? Mm. You know, this is not like you know, first, uh, you know, a child um, just gets pureed uh, food, right? And then the child is presented with a sliced up apple. And then the child is presented with uh, an apple. And, and, you know, and, and then the child gets to go with you to the grocery store to see where the apples come from. And um, up until that point, like that is uh, the knowledge of uh, a child's knowledge of what, what, what an apple is and where it comes from. Right. It's sustenance uh, that you buy from the store. Um, and the, the kind of bridging this final gap and taking a child apple picking is uh, one of many educational steps where um, you kind of get at the uh, root, again, pun intended, um, of a certain phenomenon. And uh, you say this, this is it. This is its essence. Um, this is the tree that is planted in the earth and uh, and it bears a fruit. And a human being, well, or I guess a machine in, in, in truly industrial agricultural situations, um, but somehow something has to uh, get that fruit off of the tree and you can eat it directly off the tree. That's another one of the great pleasures. Uh, uh, great pleasures is probably overstating. That's one of the pleasures <laughs> of going apple pe- picking um, is uh, cutting away all those um, layers of abstraction and intermediaries between your and your food um, and getting to interact with it in that direct way. So like, uh, and, and and there, I'm sure there are many other experiences like that that um, I'm going to go through with my child. Like you know, next week we're going to go to the uh, to, to the butcher 
right? Uh, to, to watch. Um, <laughs> Are you kidding? Uh, like you're doing <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, no, the, 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 you know, we're going to teach a kid about the supply chain, right? Like every aspect, every link in that supply <laughs> we're chain. Going and then to we're, go, gonna go to, we're going to go to the docks and we're going to see the container exactly. ships. See the container <laughs> ships. I, we're going we're gonna to talk about unionization and the declining power of <laughs> declining power of labor. It is <laughs> funny, but kids love to see cows and boats. You know, like those things, the trains, kids love trains. They love cows. They love goats. They but, love boats. I mean, those are all, they love goats and boats. Uh, boats and boats and boats and goats. <laughs> um, so Mark, I think, I think you're on to, to something here. You know, the, the, the great Slavoj Zizek, uh, <laughs> talks about <laughs> Slavoj Zizek Magnus, as it were. <laughs> um, talks about, uh, films and in his, in, uh, it may be the pervert's guide to ideology. Um, the film where he does, he sort of inserts himself digitally into, into scenes from other films as he is sort of commenting about them from his uh, idiosyncratic Marxist perspective. And he talks about the film Titanic um, and talks about the sort of the love story uh, masking, you know, and, and a lot of the kind of surface trappings masking ideology and that like um, that the, the kind of the fundamental ideology of Titanic is how the upper class has to sort of vampire-like draw their vitality. They've become like decrepit and sort of spent, you know, and they have to uh, re-energize themselves by drawing vitality from uh, from the poor, from the working class, right? And it, it, you know, as, as you see, all the the fancy the fancy stuff in the ballroom is sort of airless, and it's like uh, corseted, literally and figuratively, and it's you know. Um, kind of lifeless whereas you know down below decks they're having a a great old great old um you know i don't know uh indeterminate indeterminate irish dance party with you know diddly diddly d fiddles and and you know kind of uh what nondescript peasant dancing and probably stuff. a drum with like you know someone just the week before killed an animal and tanned the leather and stretched it out over a piece of wood right right yeah played with played with one of those wooden q-tip looking doom 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 things you know as they're as they're dancing their their reels and their you know whatever whatever they are um right and that that the upper class needs to sort of draw this energy in to to maintain itself and can kind of keep a a pen of of poor people in steerage uh from which they can draw this and then at the end of the film literally cast off uh, spoiler alert for Titanic cast off Leonardo DiCaprio into the deep his life having been having been drained away i th- i uh, i thought a similar thing recently when i watched the white lotus except it's with hawaiians uh and so the the i think there's something interesting here um because mark you described it at the beginning as city dwellers going apple mm-hmm. picking urban yeah. people going apple picking uh, right yeah. and so I, I should add a, i should add a specific thing as well too that this was a trip organized by my kids school ah. which of course you know is um in manhattan um with all these folks in manhattan who are uh of means enough so that they you know can either rent or own a car so they can slip out to the country sure. for this yeah. activity yeah right and so so you you do that all of you all of you uh uh i don't know whatever stockbrokers you investment bankers you you know advertising agency creatives in your turtlenecks and your th- thick rimmed black glasses and and all of you uh schlep out to the country and you engage in a simulacrum of agricultural labor mm-hmm. you know yes, you you do a, you do a kind of cosplay uh a kind of a kind of plaid cosplay a flannel cosplay and that this you know uh connection with agriculture with earth with the you know the the pre-industrial economy <laughs> You know, right? Like all of this, um, p- pulls the, the life force. You take the life. That's why there's so many apples lying on the ground. You've sucked their essence into your, uh, you know, into yourself so that you can, um, uh, so that you can again, you know, return to the city, uh, re- revitalized, reinvigorated and, uh, go through, go through another, another year. Um, mm-hmm. you know, of, uh, of, of what feeding the machine. Right. And that's Scur- what scurrying around uh, underground, riding the subway, 
Um, yes, right. all those things. Yeah, and, exactly. And it's funny, you, met, you mentioned cosplay, by the way, Matt, and I will say that I very intentionally dressed my son in a pair of overalls for this outing. Yes, of course. Yeah. Do, do you have a little baby plaid baby plaid shirt? You know, little mm-hmm. little. T- you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, we exactly. Had one last season, we have one last season, but he grew out of it. So he grew out of it. Uh, we there got to go. buy a new one every year. Yeah, he's not, it's That's it's unfair baby. to call him a baby. He's he's pretty big, but the. Um, yeah, and then and then yes, and then from your one day in the sunshine, uh, you can then you know return return to your life of living in New York City uh, underground, traveling through subway tunnels, walking Man- in manipulating financial markets. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And to and, exploit uh, wealth from uh, from the same people that I just extracted energy from. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Exactly yeah. It. Like uh, uh, Grandma's farm is getting foreclosed on for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're yeah. yeah we're turning it we're turning it into a um, yeah we're turning it into a kind of financialized uh, you know a kind of financialized farm share product where the the you know the sunlight and wholesomeness uh, is boxed up and and sent on a monthly subscription forty four ninety five a month to get your biweekly box of sunshine and wholesomeness from Apple uh, from the the Apple farm anyway we've we've gone we're, to we're, the we're, we're going to tokenize but, it next yeah. Exactly. The non, the NFT, the non, uh, the, or, uh, or in Pete's case, the NET, the non edible token. <laughs> that is, that is the, uh, that is the Apple. Now, Pete, you're on mute for a lot of that. So I, so I thought either you were just laughing hysterically and didn't want to interrupt my run or else you were, you were saving up to, uh, to clap back pretty hard right now. So, um, <laughs> Well, I was looking something up and I'm not looking to clap back. I'm looking to add rather than take away because I want to offer a brief contrast, which is uh, I have I have not taken Ethan apple picking yet. My little kid, Uh, I will at some point in the near future. That will be the end of my drought. uh, And why I'm curious. uh, Add vitality to him. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, and (laughs) that's the thing is like uh, I have, however, taken him blueberry picking. Uh, and blueberry picking as a performative act is fundamentally different, I would suggest, than apple picking for a variety of reasons. Uh, I had an interesting moment in early on in my relationship with my wife where we were hiking and she came across a blueberry bush uh, on a mountain trail and just ate off of it. And I was aghast. I was horrified. Right. Um, sure. Because growing up in New Jersey, you don't just eat things that you come across. Right. Most of the water is infected with Giardia at best. Right. Um, You don't just pick things up off the ground and eat them. But, you know, especially for, you know, a family that's been around for a long time in a particular climate and knows the native plants. Right. If you find wild blueberries, that was a thing to pick and eat them. It was kind of standard and normal. Right. And even an important part of people's diets. uh, You know, if you don't reach too far back. And one thing I was looking up is I was like, well, is there something agricultural about blueberries that makes – because we took him to a farm, right? And they had some blueberry bushes, and we went through the blueberry bushes, and we picked the blueberries. That is there something about the agricultural blueberries that makes them feel like less of a – of a, of a strangeness, feel more feel, – feel less of a sort of performative aberration than apple picking does? Uh, because one of the weird things about apple picking is you just get so many apples, and they're so big, right? And so the experience of apple picking only – only performatively resembles an actual food gathering activity, right? Because if you were to be gathering apples for long-term use, you would get many more. You'd get a whole barrel. They're all over the place, right? Um, but if you were only doing it for fun, you might get fewer. And then I did confirm that blueberry season is seems to be significantly longer uh, than apple season and runs through the summer. So um, also perhaps because of the different, you know, the varietals, varieties of blueberry being less obvious or the wild bushes being less homogeneous, you might be more likely to encounter blueberry bushes that are have blueberries on them over a longer period of time than you would with apples, where there are apples to be picked that are available at different times, but it's curated by variety. And the availability of apples being in season is even broader than the availability for picking because certain apples are aged before they're sold. Um, in addition to the ones that are preserved. So I was also thinking about the book Blueberries for Sal, which, and I was thinking about what Slavoj Žižek would say about Blueberries for Sal. Uh, Are you guys familiar with Blueberries for Sal? Uh, By Robert McCloskey? Yeah, 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 by Robert McCloskey, the writer of Make Way for Ducklings and Uh whatnot. Um, uh, We actually got it as a gift from uh, good friend John and Emily, friends of the the podcast. Um, 
they got a copy of Blueberries for Sale for us. And the description of the of the plot in Blueberries for Sale is about a mother who takes a child blueberry picking because they need food for the winter. And this is a book that's written in 1948. So feels like a long time ago. Not really a long time ago. Let me tell you, 40 years goes by fast. All right. It's not that long. 1948 was not that long ago. But they go apple picking. They go blueberry picking to get food for the winter. And it's about the contrasting uh, attitudes towards preparation for winter by humans and bears. Right. Because mm. it's about a little kid The little kid wants to eat the blueberries now, but the mom wants them to put the blueberries in the pail because we need to jar them so we have them for the winter. And then the mama bear takes the baby bear out, and they're like, you need to eat the the berries now because we need to store them up for the winter, right? We're going to accumulate this fat that we're going to live off of uh, as we hibernate. And the kid who wants the – you know, who identifies more with the bear's perspective, although, of course, incapable of hibernation – leaves their own mother to follow the bear uh, and the bear cub uh, seeking the bear, the berries that are in the mother's pail rather than trying to get them off the bush follows the human mother. And and the two kids get switched and they eventually get switched back. Mm. Um, and I was just thinking about, so, so if the idea behind apple picking, because again, when you actually live in a place where these things would grow, right. Even if they weren't necessarily cultivated, uh, the relationship with them you would expect to be slightly different, right? And a lot of the distance between – we all know that the culture of food changes based on the distance between a person psychologically and physically uh, between you know, uh, the actual you know, production of the food, production, right? What an alienating word, um, and the, the consumption of it, right? Like you know, farmers are not the most likely to be vegetarian. <laughs> Right. Like, uh, you know, you know, you don't you don't necessarily run into a lot of vegan people who live on chicken farms. Um, and that's not <laughs> because killing chickens isn't horrible. Right. Like it's not like cutting birds heads off so that they bleed out isn't like, you know, a ghastly sort of experience. Um, but there's differences in commodification that are related to proximity, I guess. I mean, I'm always more of a of a post-structuralist myself and, than a strict Marxist. And I would suggest that the material conditions of the apples vis-a-vis the person eating the apples are also informed by other matters of context, right? Um, not just strictly based on the relations of productions of apple manufacture, but I guess your role in the system is part of it. Um, but anyway, sorry, I've been going. I, that's what I was quiet is I was kind of musing over all these things and thinking about how to think of them. Um, and, well, and it's yes, interesting. I mean, it yeah. reminds me. It reminds me of the the Aesop fable of the the ants and the grasshopper. Do you guys okay. Do you guys know that one? It's it's four short paragraphs long. I'm I'm reading it out of some some like Aesop for children uh, thing that is on read.gov. I'll put a link in the show notes to this. But here's your your Library of Congress Aesop for children: the ants and the grasshopper. One bright day in late autumn, a family of ants were bustling about in the warm sunshine, drying out the grain they had stored during the summer. When a starving grasshopper, his fiddle under his arm, came up and humbly begged for a bite to eat. What? cried the ants in surprise. Haven't you stored anything away from the winter? What in the world were you doing all last summer? I didn't have time to store up any food, whined the grasshopper. I was so busy making music that before I knew it, the summer was gone. The ants shrugged their shoulders in disgust. Making music were you, they cried. Very well. Now dance! And they turned their backs on the grasshopper and went on with their work. <laughs> that's the answer, you know, that's the ants and the, and the gra- grasshopper. And it doesn't, it doesn't really take much to arrive at a Marxist <laughs> reading of that particular, uh, of that particular fable, though, you know, it was presumably written many, many millennia before, or, or presumably arrived at, presumably developed many millennia before Marx. Um, yeah, that's uh, you know that that reminds me that reminds me of the the blueberries and the the sort of bears and the like the the sort of the 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 lesson in those stories is right that there's like that there is a right relationship to your to your food and to sort of control over your instincts, right? Uh, there's a r- right relationship between um, 
the the um the instinct to satiate yourself and the instinct to delay gratification in order to you know reap greater benefits in the uh in the future and uh, you know i don't know i i feel like a uh, a lot of a uh, a lot of that stuff you can sort of say like what is this in service of uh because the the you know i don't know the 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 ants sound like a real drag you know and their society sounds like it needs a revolution to me um oh man really yeah. you would die so fast oh my goodness <laughs> you think that the the lesson is that i'm sorry i'm just very incredulous incredulous at that um i mean to me it reads because it's a story for children right i mean I guess, I guess the incredulity comes from are we really thinking about a situation in which food needs to be preserved and are we sort of totally taking for granted the agricultural relationship of human beings with harvests to the extent that we sort of expect that we'll always be able to fly stuff in from Argentina or New Zealand uh, if we don't have it here today. Um, but also, I guess, you know, who, no, needs, it is my- Pete, who needs a granary? I have fed- FedEx. Okay, uh, here's the thing, though. I shouldn't be so incredulous because I think we have a Katniss Everdeen situation here, <laughs> right? And I think the Katniss Everdeen situation is that it is so easy, uh, it is so easy to entangle and so hard to disentangle the relationships of uh, governments and their people versus parents and their children, huh. right? Uh, because I, when I think when I hear that story, part of what I think is that's a story that you tell children to make them work on the farm <laughs> because the children, the child doesn't want to work on the farm; the child wants to go play. Right. And you're like, oh, well, you know, the little red hen, right? The the ants and the grasshopper. You need the child to work because you can't do it all yourself. And the amount of food that you're going to be able to generate is going to depend on them. Now, granted, this is child labor and you would frown upon it if you had the mechanization and the you know fossil fuels necessary to carry out, you know, like a uh, an agricultural society without forcing people to work. Right. Um, which is good. And I'm glad we have it. But it's you know, it's not a permanent condition uh, in terms of looking backward. And who knows if it will be looking forward. Right. But but the notion being like that's bleak. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Have you not? Have you not felt like a bit of? I mean, there's been a lot of people who have been thinking about prepping, but everybody's thinking about it wrong, right? Everybody, I think you should be looking at like if you really are thinking about the end of the world, or you're thinking about what to do if like supply chains get permanently disrupted in a major way, and there's like, like you know, we, I don't know, I maybe maybe I like to think a little bit about like, well, what would I do to try to get food, right? Sure. Well, um, you, I mean, you you live in a watershed, Pete. The the you got you got irrigation for days, right? I mean, the, we have water, yeah. But I mean, is that good or is it bad? Because we also have you know all sorts of animals. And I do I I don't want to deploy the. I mean, one of the conflicts I experience a lot is like not wanting to deploy pesticides because they might hurt my kid's brain, right? But being encroached upon by plants that are that I try to remove manually to great difficulty. And so far I have not deployed the pesticides, but the plants are winning. Right. And it would be impossible for me to use this land in any sort of productive way without some sort of much more concerted effort to fight off the other invasive plants that would choke off anything I would try to grow. I mean, I guess, I guess what I mean is like, I think, I think of you like, uh, who was it in, in Star Trek into darkness? Was it Eric Bana? Who, who, who (laughs) said, I'm the, I'm the red matter guy. Yeah. Who said the actual line, deploy the red matter. Yeah. <laughs> that was in the first Star Trek, I think, right? The Star Trek 2009. The oh, original, the, the original one where, where Spock comes through the... Right, yes, of course, and Into Darkness was Khan. Was Khan! Uh, yes. Yeah, the, the Aesop's Fable, the story of the Aesop's Fable is, or the moral, the stated moral anyway, is that there's a time for work uh, and a time for play. I, mean, I guess the question, I guess the question then is like the really the real questioning of the idea that the ants need a revolution is like, well, didn't the ants already have a revolution in which they forced everybody to work? Right. Like, <laughs> like other than the one person in charge who sits in billions, the middle. billions like, of ants died in the revolution. Pete. The grasshoppers are the ones that need to have a revolution because there's these dilettantes that are living off the largesse of the people who are working. Right? Like the, the ants have it together. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's a, that's a way to think about artists who give who give life color and meaning, Pete. Or, uh, okay. Pete de well, Medici okay. says the citizen of, of the city of Los Angeles. Yeah, Pete. Over, over is a dialectical <laughs> philosophical <laughs> basis. We are not offering a cogent or a singular sort of pontification. We have we have dialogues. We're learning. We're learning as we're talking. So you think that the grasshopper 
I mean, that makes sense, right? That like life would be worse if the grasshopper didn't exist because there would be no song and dance. Um, should that mean that the grasshopper needs to like renegotiate their relationship with the ants in some yeah, way? That's, I mean, right? Like the 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 grasshopper should exist on a stored grain subsidy, right? In in exchange for the you know the valuable labor he provides. Um, mm. as an, you know, as an artist, as a, as a right. fiddler, you know, which he should bring up when he is hungry at dinner time in front of a bunch of ants, but <laughs> <laughs> like I should have a subsidy. Got it. Uh, no, so I mean, you're you thinking should, that you're thinking this is a timing no, problem. No, 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 really. the, 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 the grasshopper doesn't need to bring it up. His union and his agents right. need to bring, need to bring this got, up. Yeah. There's but if the be grasshopper a... doesn't self-identify as a worker, then he's unlikely to be willing to fully participate in a union. Right. Mm. Well, this is, I don't I mean, know. you know, this is a problem, right? Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a United auto worker because they organized grad student instructors in the mm. university of California. And that, uh, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I was, I was glad to do that and glad to sort of sign away whatever penny or two of my, my of my rich fat check grain for the winter grain for the winter mm-hmm. for for teaching english to uh to um non majors uh that uh that i did um that i got so that they could collectively bargain on our behalf but like there there is this sort of classism in in this organizing of like uh of graduates of graduate students that said like i'm in you know i'm in a uh in a lot of the entertainment in the acting entertainment unions anyway and like um i don't know there there isn't i think i think the actual experience of professional acting is so demoralizing <laughs> that, that you like any kind of any kind of illusion that you are you know something other than like an itinerant kind of manual laborer um right. You know, I like think of all those think of all those kids tap dancing for, you know, a couple hundred dollars a week out on their tours, you know, out, out on their their van tours to to like middle school cafetoria um, that, you know, think of them. The, the injury rate among those kids is is so high uh, that, uh, you know, they got to. Um, I don't know. They gotta. Uh, they gotta have a union. They gotta have that health that, insurance. Yeah. As a suggestion for all the hardworking entertainment professionals in the greater Los Angeles area, area um, to improve morale and for their general well-being, um, maybe SAG Astra should organize an apple picking trip for them. Yes. Oh well, wait. So oh wait. Oh wait. But you, you can't do that because it's not a thing out west, right? Yeah, we we live in a desert. Um, yeah, so Matt, you need a revolution. This, this is, if you this don't is, have this, apple picking. You should yeah. have a revolution until you have apple picking. This is my um, kind of uh, circumstantial uh, 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 roundabout way of bringing up this. Uh, what you brought up earlier, Matt, which is that you have never been apple picking, not just because you oh. live, have lived on the East Coast, um, well, on the West Coast for most of your life, but uh, it, somehow in the what the, the almost decade or so that you lived on the East Coast, um, you uh, it, it never this this activity never. Popped it in your itinerary, but it wouldn't have it wouldn't have occurred to me, you know, like because uh, I'm not I am not to the manner born, um, and so even though <laughs> yes, grasshopper, <laughs> <laughs> and so even though I was uh, even though I was a a bona fide resident of the East Coast for uh, of of Connecticut, one of the most New Englandy of New Englandy states, um, that uh, yeah, it never would have uh, never would have occurred to me that this is an activity th- that that a person would want would want to do <laughs> Cer- certainly on a certainly on an internet date when the, when the you know when the goal the whole especially of a first date right like the whole goal of an internet date is like to be very close to the ripcord so that you can pull it at any, <laughs> at any point bail 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 dump the apples jettison the cargo <laughs> dump the apple turn over every bushel basket upside down <laughs> Dive, dive, dive! Uh, but yes, oh man, this is, oh, I, I love that. I love this topic. Uh, the apple picking. <laughs> so, so after hearing us go on about uh, this ritual uh, for either you know romantic or, or child rearing, rearing reasons, um, does any of this sound like fun? I don't like yeah. apples. So you don't like? Do you like them in preparation? Yeah, I like I like like apple pie. Yeah. You know, um, but I don't. It's not. Like, uh, I'm like, I'm gonna be real with you guys. Fruit is not a big part of my life. Um, 
Christina, Christina yeah. is Christina uh, was like, um, yeah, she offered me a bite of her banana today. And I was like, what, what even is that strange, strange yellow comma? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, um, no, it's not that bad, but it's, it's, you know, fruit. I don't know. Fruit is just not a big, fruit is not so, a big so, part of my life. So wait, so do you like walk the lonely streets of Los Angeles <laughs> and like look in, in the sort of setting sun with that sort of light chill of maybe 58 degrees as the desert breeze comes in and you turn up the collar of your light jacket alone in the darkness as you stare inside the juice bar where all of the other people in Los Angeles are like celebrating and enjoying the variety of fruit juices and smoothies. Is that yes. just like, you, wow, that's like, that's like shot for shot. That's yeah, uh, no, that's, that's exactly it. Right. Like close up, you know, uh, medium close up on Matt's forlorn face, the light from inside the, 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 the light, the glowing light of wellness, of wholesomeness from inside the <laughs> juice bar shining out as he flips up the collar on his jacket, turns away and walk, uh, you know, and uh, I walk the lonely road, the only road that I have ever known. They say those juices cleanse toxins. <laughs> I look in the mirror every morning and ask myself, what if I'm the toxin? <laughs> Are they going to cleanse me? <laughs> Someday there's going to be. One day a rain is going to come. A, a mixture of lemon juice yeah. and maple syrup. It's going to through the streets. <laughs> and the, the cayenne pepper will burn away all, uh, burn away all, all, um, yeah, exactly. All the toxins so, in your body. And so there, the, there will be a master cleanse, which somehow combines two supremacist metaphors into <laughs> one uh, harmful fad diet. So wait, so Matt, is is fruit picking in California just like a problematic social metaphor as well as an economic activity? It's not because you have fruit, right? Oh, we like, we have a lot of California. we have a lot of we have a lot of fruit. We also have but, uh, we also have like alfalfa for China and and things that are and we have almonds as well. We have things that we really yeah. we shouldn't have. But yeah, no, there there is like there is like um, what what can I think of like berry picking. You know, right, in right, like right. strawberry picking is more likely yeah. to be the is more likely to be the the thing. Um, and interesting because there's less seasonality in your weather. So I wonder if that might be part of why. So because I, I can't I feel like I would have heard of it if strawberry picking in California were as big a thing as apple picking is on the East Coast. And it doesn't seem like it is. I don't know. Is it? No, I, but I don't think we live in quite the same, at least the natives anyway, like, I don't think we live in quite the same relationship to the idea of, of country, you know, to the idea of mm -hmm. like, of the rural as, as y'all do, you know, cause it, it, like the, the trips out of town are like trips to go like the, rock climbing or skiing right, or something right, like right. that, you know? Right. And so like, there's a, there's a sense that like, that is, that is the way you, you interact with nature through adventure sports. And I'm, I'm probably just, just, this is probably not as widespread a phenomenon, not a real dichotomy that, that I'm making out to be, but, but what the heck, this is overthinking it. Let's, yeah. uh, you know, let's, let's forge forge in like the idea that that you know um like the uh the east coast gives us apple picking uh the west coast gives us john muir and the sierra club you know okay and yeah. that like and that the idea of of um the idea of the wilderness is that it's a uh, a, a recreational destination, right? Rather than, rather than a site of, you know, sort of Potemkin agricultural labor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, have you read East of Eden recently? <laughs> Wait, those, those were, uh, all, all that Steinbeck stuff was, was about canneries though. They were, they were about, uh, oh, no, no, no. I'm saying it supports your argument because yeah. the, there's a, like one of the first chapters in Easton Eden is where the two brothers attempt to farm together in Connecticut. And it's like, they're turning over stones and they're trying to drive through the cold earth. And I think one of the lines is something like, you know, when two men live together long enough, eventually they want to kill each other. <laughs> it's just this miserable, miserable, like, like existence farming in new England. Well, that right? is, As I mean, if you like feel like if you're, California, which has its problems, but well, sure. Uh, yeah. It's the, the fact that we have no water, that the whole, the whole history of, of, Farming in in California is the is like uh, the history of the diversion of water and how it can be, you know, taken from taken from the places where it flows naturally and put in places where where it doesn't flow naturally. Forget it, Matt. It's Chinatown. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> That's
That's uh, what if what if you were just to diver- divert it all into a whole bunch of apple orchards? Do you think that would make everybody happier? Do you think people would be more monogamous? I mean, I don't think they- we have the the climate for it. I mean, what <laughs> we have, we have the climate for uh for apple for orange picking, you know, we yeah, we have yeah, yeah. we have great citrus out here, you know. You want to mm-hmm. you want to come pick you want to come pick a fruit. Jeez, my my mom is always trying to give me these Meyer lemons every damn year. It's like, okay, I've, I've want, I made some Meyer lemon curd, you know. I made a lemon meringue pie, mom. I don't <laughs> I don't need I don't need three. I, I made lemon juice for cocktail. I froze enough lemon juice for for cocktail mixers to to last me until twenty twenty five. I don't need any. I don't need another three tons of Meyer lemons. Um, yeah, it's uh, we're 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 lousy with citrus. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. And this is so, I mean, I love the idea. Cause like, I don't know. So, so my alienation is with this. If we're, I think the feeling of alienation I have is with this scarcity sense that we're talking about the idea that the restrictions placed on your diet by a lack of availability or a seasonal availability provides you with a puzzle of what to do with it. Mm. Like I find that intriguing and interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, again, I wouldn't want to live it uh, because it would be strictly worse than what I have now. But then at the same time, I mean, you don't you never take home more apples than you do when you're apple picking. Right. <laughs> and there's this idea that, well, the apples are bountiful on the tree and I should take them. And also the activity is to take them. So I will. Um, but that sort of raises the question of, you know, why not? Why don't you ever go to the store and just buy 30 freaking apples <laughs> and just be like, let's just do a bunch of stuff with this? But Pete, we do. Right? I mean, we do sort of voluntarily undergo that. We call it like eating seasonally. You know, like well, yeah, we yeah. do kind of voluntarily undergo this sort of simulacra or this kind of what opting out of the of the industrial food production uh, system and like whatever the the demerit the the merits of that as a, you know, potential program for a, a more you know, I don't know, a more ecologically cogent manner of food production or whatever the demerits of it as a like a, you know, hyper privileged play acting at opting out of the industrial food uh, system as though, you know, you could uh, as though it didn't. Uh, d- d- does that d- d- does that think because thou art virtuous at the farmer's market that there there shall be no more, you know, Hormel chili and uh, uh, Chef Boyardee? You know, that, right. that does, which is funny, which is funny, right? Sorry. You, you can finish your thought. But that, I yeah. To... Yeah. I mean, whatever the, the merits of it, it is a phenomenon. Like it is a thing, right. And that it is a, a thing that, that people do. And it, it does involve this kind of like this sort of play acting at the kind of scarcity that, um, the kind, the, you know, the, the kind of scarcity that you would experience in a less industrialized food system. I, I will say though, that, Every supermarket tomato is disgusting, right? And <laughs> and the tomatoes that you get at, you know, the farm stand or whatever between like August and, you know, mid-August and, and late September, like are glorious. Uh, so there, there is a, you know. Or the, if you grow them. Yeah, sure. Like the ones yeah. that come off the, the ones that come off your, your own vine ripened, you know, ripened right there in the hot sun of the, of the late summer and early autumn. Like they're fantastic, you know, and everything, everything about them is, but your salads, your, your lifeless, your limp salads come alive. The greens re-crunchify themselves, you know, in the presence of such flavor as, as flows from the tomatoes that you grow in your, in your own garden. All right, Pete. Thanks. Yeah. Do you want to read my pamphlet, The Chef Boyardee with Two Faces? Because, <laughs> like, canning is is like – canning as a method of preserving at this point is virtually pre-industrial, right? Because it's like confronting the notion of, like, what if I didn't have meatballs? <laughs> <laughs> and yet it also seems as the most commodified meatball. What if I had too many meatballs? It is funny if the that the questions of what if I had no meatballs and what if I had too many meatballs have a converging answer. Uh, it's it's a horseshoe theory of horse meat and you know of of Chef Boyardee. So G- guys, can so, I present you with my manuscript for um, the farmer with a thousand faces, yeah. the, <laughs> the age old heroic journey um, of the ur- urban dweller out into the countryside. So, so um, Mark, let who me, hauls let me, home a ridiculous amount of produce. Let me ask you: When you apple did it? When apple picking? Did you have the stick? The stick? Yeah, the stick. I mean, like to reach the apples and pick them off. Yeah, uh, there's off a tool, places? right? Or did, you, or did you have the stick. carrot? 
the method of uh, positive punishment that you use to incentivize the well, apples to come no, down. No, we, no, we were talking about how we were just trying to dis- intermediate um, my son from his source of food. So no, he picked them off of the trees with his own hands. So it looks kind of like so a, a fruit picker stick looks like a lacrosse stick. Yeah. And you stick it up into the tree to get the fruits. Were people using them? I mean, presumably, I mean, you wouldn't want to give this to a child because they would trip over and, like, you know, get it in their eye or something, or they would turn around and whack you with it. But because uh, these things are tall, um, you that want the m- child to be picking the low hanging fruit, as they say. Uh, no, really, I, the I, real low hanging fruit is low hanging fruit, by the way. Uh, <laughs> that's not a metaphor for anything. It's just low hanging yeah. fruit. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, no, they didn't have these here. Um, I actually I can't say that I'm familiar with the. It looks like it looks like a no, rake. No, no. It looks like a rake combined with a basket on it. Like a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of that performance that we're talking about of the sort of the imitation of the you know having a tool <laughs> right is the sort of imitation of labor by necessity. Right. A specialized tool that you don't know how to use because you've never used it before, but you're supposed to learn how to use it really fast. And then you get familiar with it and you feel like, ah, I have the tool. I've made fire. I'm the person that capable of surviving and all the all that other fantasy. We can spend that. Uh, we can spend the, the Boston winter together under the sheets. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. We're ready to ensconce ourselves in blankets. Yeah. Um, uh, well, what do you? What do you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's Aww, nice. It's that's nice. Sweet. Let's kind of snuggle up, everybody. That's... So, so what about the cider donuts then? I'm trying to think about all of the other. <laughs> think about all the other sort of aesthetic elements because we. I think we've gone pretty deep on the theory, but now I, I want to think also about the the little moments of experience, the little things that are present in an apple picking experience that resonate in peculiar ways because the whole experience it has the 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 coherence of apple picking might be the strangest part of it uh, the first time i went apple picking maybe no the second time i went apple picking i went at a vineyard which was strange right it's also super expensive and don't cross don't cross don't cross the beams man what the heck <laughs> that's weird but i went apple picking and then we had a wine and gin tasting because it was a vineyard that had extra land because there's, you know, not this, you know, I, presumably there's different land you would want to plant apples versus grapes on. Or presumably this whole business was getting people into the place to do tours of their performative agriculture. And so it is more worth it to them to be able to stay open through the fall when the grapes are not being harvested, right, than it is to grow more grapes, to make more wine, to support their wine label that they were selling the grapes from. Um, but it was interesting to go apple picking at a winery uh, as opposed to going apple picking at a uh, friary, a, a place not a place that that prays in 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 uh, in uh, indigence, but a place that uh, that fries things and coats them in delicious cinnamon sugar uh, mm. and other sorts of things. Um, Here's the thing about the donuts is that they are almost inevitably disappointing, except for really? that one time. Yeah. Oh. Well, okay. Let me let me rephrase that. Okay, like I, I had a preconceived notion of what a, a apple cider donut was supposed to be, and like there's the store bought thing, and you get some of them from the farmers market, and you know, and there's the kinds you get from apple picking, and maybe those are like a little bit better, or it's just like kind of the ambiance. No, there is a gold standard of apple cider donut, um, which is uh, it's like straight out of the fryer, drenched in oil and all of the spices, um, and those are incredible. And where have you had those? Comparison. Where you uh, had those? At some random place in uh, in in Western Connecticut. Uh, well, it was we should all be going to random places instead of going apple picking. Yeah, that's good. No, no, no it was it was an apple. It was, open the just to be clear, flip it was, through. It was an apple picking. It was an apple picking place. Uh, in, oh, in Western oh, okay. I was about to open GeoGuessr and just spin the wheel and flip be like, the, yeah, I'm exactly. Go. Flip through the atlas and whatever whatever page your finger falls upon, that is where we're headed for the apple cider donuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you need an account to play, GeoGuessr. And obvi- obviously, the best apple cider donuts are the ones manufactured by the Kraft Corporation, you know, and sold under the Entenmann's label. I actually don't know if Kraft owns owns Entenmann's. Maybe Philip Morris USA owns Entenmann's and can <laughs> uh, can give us the can give us the tastiest mass produced apple cider uh, apple cider donuts, um, which which we ants that we are. Um, Entenmann's, by the way, is owned by Grupo Bimbo, oh, got uh, it. which is a Mexican multinational company oh, which, with really? a hilarious name. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Entenmann's is an American people. An Entenmann's cider donut would fill your stomach and uh, sate your hunger temporarily, but it would definitely not restore that vitality. No, the only thing that that will is snuggling under the blanket with us and settling in for a long, dark, cold 
winter. <laughs> All right. We probably have to leave it there. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you very much, Mark, for going apple picking. Uh, thank you, Pete, for sharing your New England, your, your homespun New England wisdom. <laughs> Yeah, about, whatever. About think grasshopper. <laughs> about, about apple picking. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.